How are we doing so far? So far, so good, all right. Um, well, so far in our sermon series, we've covered uh, three subjects in Ecclesiastes. We've covered uh, pleasure and work and time under the sun. And this week, I get the privilege of tackling justice. Justice. And I said earlier, and I'll say it again, I think what I'm about to say may get me in some hot water with some of you, um, or it is putting me on thin ice. I, I can actually hear the ice cracking behind me as I begin to make some comments about God's justice, or justice above the sun, and human justice. And I think the church at least ought to be the place where we can have this kind of discussion and be comfortable with the differences about the truth of justice. I think we could all agree, secondly, that we all want justice. Everyone on earth wants it. The problem, though, as the narrator in Ecclesiastes says about justice under the sun, is that man's justice is evil. It's flawed. It's corrupt. We can't exact perfect justice. We don't have the power as humans. We are not God. Listen to this quote by St. Augustine. It opens a movie that just came out, and I recommend the movie to you. It's called Calvary. And this quote is about the two criminals hanging on either side of Jesus on Calvary. Listen to this quote and think about justice. Augustine writes, Do not despair. One of the thieves was saved. Do not presume, however, that one of the thieves was damned. That ought to bother you. It bothered me when I saw it. I thought, wait a minute, I know that story. The one who looks at Jesus and says, forgive me. Take me to paradise. Jesus looks at him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. But Jesus doesn't say anything about damning the other guy. And it's not what Augustine thinks happened. And more importantly, Scripture doesn't say that. That's not the way God works. Jesus, you see, died to bring mercy to both of them. To both of them. Let's look at our death penalty, for example. I can hear the ice really cracking now. Um, it doesn't bring restorative justice, does it? It can't go back and bring the person back to life who was murdered. It doesn't put things back the way they were. It only seeks, and rightly so, to balance the scales here on earth. However, when God declares justice, he not only sets things right, he promises to erase the past completely. Or as Paul says, he takes our sin and moves it as far from us as the east is from the west. Another problem with man's justice is that we're really never satisfied with it. Um, we always think that maybe it's not sufficient. And it's the problem that permeates all of Ecclesiastes that the narrator is talking about. This world, to quote one commentator, is never ample enough for us. Nothing seems to fill us. And secondly, and more damagingly, in the pursuit of these things like pleasure, work, time, justice, we actually can create more problems for ourselves and those around us. I want to make one point before I look at the reading, and that is the word meaningless or hopeless. The narrator uses that word all the time. Life is meaningless, life is hopeless under the sun. I want to suppose for a minute that what he's really saying is that life under the sun is incomprehensible or unapprehendable, kind of long words, but incomprehensible or unapprehendable without Jesus. The second part of that actually puts control of this world back squarely in the hands of the one who created it, God. 
The author does believe that this is an ordered world, that we all have a place in it, but his understanding is that it's cyclical. It just goes round and round and round again. Um, he does believe that God will have the final say, though, and throughout Ecclesiastes, we hear that. And I might add, as Augustine wrote, that what we hear does not always look like what we believe it should. So I propose this morning that God's justice and our idea of justice may be two different things. So life, if you will, under the sun, man's justice, life above the sun, God's justice. Look in your Bibles on page 473, the other red book in the pew, at Ecclesiastes. I'm not going to read every verse, but I am going to look at a couple of them to make my point about hope. Because like I said, the author says over and over again that this life is without hope. So it opens in verse 16 at the uh, bottom of page 473 there. We heard Peter read. And I saw something else under the sun, a place of judgment, wickedness was there, and the place of justice, wickedness was there. There is a difference between judgment and justice, or as some translations put it, righteousness. Judgment is a decision by juries or judges of innocent or guilt innocence or guilt. Justice, on the other hand, is when things are set right, or as right as they can be. If you heard me two weeks ago, I talked about furniture being glued on the ceiling as a, as a metaphor for an upside-down world where things aren't right. Well, in this case, the furniture would be taken off the ceiling and set on the ground to make things right. The narrator says that God will bring forth uh, this justice, and he goes on to say that God's the only one who can do it. God coming in from above the sun. Look at the next verse. God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. God will be the judge. Um, he talks in the middle here about a couple things. I don't want to dwell on too much, but in the next few verses, he talks about comparing humans to animals. And what I want you to hear there is the comparison is for the sake of death. He's making the point that it seems to him humans and animals are no different because they both die. That does not, however, mean they hold the same place in God's heart, humans and animals. And he goes on to talk about um, whether human souls go to heaven and whether animals rot in the ground, this kind of drumbeat about the futility and uselessness of this life. He goes on later to say, So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, because that is their lot, for who can bring them to see what will happen after them? So he's saying there that these things, these moments in life that we enjoy between this dust-to-dust -dust life are to be enjoyed. God has given us these good gifts, and we should enjoy them. Um, but he does remind us that death under the sun is the great equalizer. The poor and the rich alike all die. The poor and the rich alike all die. My mother... Uh, died a while back. Most of you know that. And uh, one of the interesting things for me as I reflected on her death was now that I'm living in her house, there were many, many things in her house and in her yard uh, that had a great deal of importance to her. They really held a great deal of value. And about a week after she died, I was walking through the house and it hit me for the first time that about 99% of that value was gone. When she died, the value of those things went with it. Because I can remember my brother and I standing there looking at these things that she held so dearly and asking each other, do you want this? And I'd say, well, I don't really want that. Do you want this? Well, I don't really want that either. 
We took them, we have them, uh, to honor our mother, but my point is those things, the value of those things was only important while she was around. They lost their meaning. So look toward the end here. This is a very important point. Again, I looked and saw, we're in in chapter 4 now, all the oppression that was taking place under the sun actually caused Peter, if you were listening, to his voice to shake. This is a serious line. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressors, and they have no comforter. So like verse 17 above, these verses speak to what I read in the gospel this morning. If you were listening, what Jesus said was, God causes his son to rise on the evil as well as the good. But remember the gospel ends, we we actually ended it too soon in my opinion, Um, Jesus admonishing us to be perfect, and then he says, which we didn't read, but only God can be perfect. But only God. For, For with man it is impossible, he says, but with God all things are possible. So we need to remember that what I said earlier, justice and judgment under the sun are never perfect because they do not come from the hand of the perfect one, God. But God has executed perfect judgment on the one thing that has power in this life to extract the greatest penalty on humanity, death. Jesus comes to bear our punishment for the penalty of sin, and he stands perfectly in our place. When I arrived here in January, I think it was the second sermon I gave, I quoted Charles Spurgeon. He's not an Anglican. And I got an email from somebody that said, I can't believe you quoted Charles Spurgeon in an Anglican or Episcopal church. Well, I'm going to do it again. I think it makes sense to remind us all of this line from Spurgeon. Spurgeon writes, God will not punish us for any sin that Jesus died for. God will not punish us for any sin that Jesus died for. This is life-changing news. This should lift our thoughts or our so-called perception of a perceived meaningless or hopeless life under the sun. So I read this Ecclesiastes passage, and I was left wondering, are these the words of a hopeless cynic? Are these the words of a hopeless cynic? I'm not convinced they are. But here's an interesting thing. This person's opinion in the Old Testament is not all we have in the Old Testament. And we're not left in the Old Testament with this position of hopelessness without a future, and that our heart's desires may never be satisfied. I want you now, we're going to do a little more Bible turning. Turn to Hosea chapter 6, and it's on page 639. Turn in your Bibles to page 639. This is another writer in the Old Testament. He doesn't conflict with Ecclesiastes. He just gives us the end of the story. Actually, Ecclesiastes ends here as well in the last chapter, but we're not reading that this morning, so I'm going to bring brother Hosea in to help us. Listen to these words. Think about Jesus. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. 
Therefore, I cut you in pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth, the law and the prophets there. My judgments flashed like lightning upon you. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Remember that quote by Augustine. Jesus came to bring mercy to both of them. God's hope is that every knee will bow. Everyone will acknowledge God. And in one of the translations, verse 5 says, My judgment goes forth as light. Not lightning. My judgment goes forth as light. We should all think, oh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The light came into the world. The darkness would not receive it. My judgment goes forth as light. God is telling the people of Israel that one day his judgment will come like light. Jesus will come. This Hosea passage points to that. Jesus provides us with a way back to the Father and to life above the Son. Jesus' judgment is perfect. His justice is righteous. We inherit that when we receive his spirit in repentance and by faith we accept his grace. We inherit a life forever lived above the Son. Listen to this. This new life above the sun is without enemies. This new life is without enemies. It's life without judgment, man's judgment, and the threat of death. Hope for this life above the sun is what gives the Christian life meaning and significance here under the sun. We understand that the journey is not simply between two dusts. It's not simply from one dust to another, as the author of Ecclesiastes might have us believe. My mom, in her final days, uh, I, I sent the nurses away. My brother provided nurses for her, and uh, I came and spent a week with her and sent the nurses home. I don't know how good of a job I did. She had some criticism of my nursing skills, as those of you who know my mom would expect. Anyway, uh, one morning early after a long night, she had had a bad night. Several things had gone wrong. She didn't sleep. She was sitting on the side of the bed, and I was, I was holding her and hugging her. And um, through tears and gasps, uh, she looked at me and she said, Why won't he take me? Why won't he take me? Well, I propose that that was a question from a person who has hope. That was from a person who, like I said earlier, doesn't believe that our lives are just dust to dust. That we end up like the animals, dead, rotting in the ground for all of eternity. That was a cry from a person who was ready for the promise of what was next, life above the sun. She had hope. And I later reflected it was a hope that was so strong that at that moment, it took the fear right out of death. At that moment, it took the fear right out of death. She longed for a place where God's justice and judgment had come and will come, where sin and death no longer existed. And I wonder if we can even imagine that, a place where there is no sin or death. Or as Job, the writer of Job, puts it, the wicked cease from troubling and the weary are at rest. The wicked cease from troubling and the weary are at rest. The end of the story is, uh, Mom, after she asked me a question the second time, I looked at her and I said, I don't know, Mom, and this was a very difficult thing for me to say to her at that time. I said, but I'm praying for that. I was actually praying that God would allow my mother to die and move, move on. And at the, after I said, I, I, I am praying for that, Mom, she looked at me and said, well, pray harder. <laughs> I said, all right, Mom, I'll try. I'll try. But that was a voice of one who had hope, even as she faced or peered through that veil that separates this life from the next. 
So remember this, church. We are hidden in Christ, as Paul says. We are no longer bound for an eternity of rules and regulations under the sun that bring death and hopelessness. We can take hold of the perfect one. We can have hope that the one who came for both men on either side of the cross is going to bring his perfect justice one day. And that perfect justice will declare mercy, not sacrifice. 